0: Hello and a very warm welcome to Hodge on Nodge for those of you joining the stream today. Sadly, because of a technical error, I am not going to have my lovely intro music. So you've been, you've not had that treat, Charlie, the lovely wee jingle I put together. We're not going to hear today, but anyway, listening to the podcast back, I'll be able to add that on afterwards. So there's a treat for anyone who listens to Hodge on Nodge on the podcast players. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. If you are watching in the comments, then please do let us know. Please do get in touch. And as you can see, I have with me the Suns football editor, Charlie Wyatt. Charlie, um, do you know what? I'm actually really, really pleased to get you on because exactly. it's nice to have you. And we're going to be able to talk about Norwich City, club close to your heart. Absolutely. So first off, I want to know the story of like, you growing up as a Norwich fan, how your love for the club came about.
1: Uh, I'm from near Hanstanton, just outside, the village called Thornham. Mm-hmm. Um Nor- Norwich fans, obviously family. First game was um Norwich Wolves it, 0-0 draw ninth February 79. Uh second game was the a year later, the Justin Fashion goal, 5-3, Liverpool. And uh just just yeah, just just yeah, <laughs> they're my team. So uh, um, f- first game I covered um probably uh, was in 1992 um, and 93. And even though I was working for Papers in Cambridge, you're doing a bit of uh, stuff for the Nationals. And then uh, I think I did two games for the EDP when Trevor Burton was on holiday in 1995, <laughs> the year Norwich got relegated. Um, and then um, joined the Sun 25 years ago, been there ever since. And obviously so do Norwich here and there um i mean we, we cover all the norwich games even when they're in league one uh we'd always have a journalist at the games home the way but
0: i, I was I, that common practice then for the nationals or heard had a lot no, of we, 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 that we
1: still do we, we 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 still pay to have a um a journalist at every efl game um and, and that's yeah, even now whether it's sutton or or, or, or barrow we've, we've got someone there um and so yeah we we, we sort of stick with norwich all the time uh, but in terms of personally, I probably tend to do them um, when, when they're in the Premier League. So I was there on Saturday for the Liverpool match. So, oh, uh, yeah.
0: But uh, is that is that just glory hunting or is that because of your uh, your purview now is is, is so senior? Yeah, that,
1: that's the office sending me <laughs> really. And I do, uh, yeah, sort of a, a fair amount of, sort of the Liverpool away games. Um, and um, yeah, so it's good. It's, it's, it's actually, I mean, I'm much, obviously much prefer watching them. As a fan, sort of go, yeah, probably eight or nine times uh, away from home. But I go when I can, basically. If if, I, if, I, if I'm off, my um, son's a season to get older as well. If, if I'm off, uh, I'll, I'll go and watch him.
0: Where does he sit?
1: Uh, he's in the lower Barclay. Oh, perfect. No, Prane singing moved, position. He's just moved as well to uh, slightly lively a bit. So, uh,
0: yeah, so he's enjoying that, yeah. Good stuff. Um, so I think the first thing that, I, from my perspective, journalistically, I think you, you hit upon a really interesting thing because a, a lot of people, their only experience of going to the football is as a fan. But when you're working on a game, so for myself, that could be commentary or it could be writing a match report, or running match report, whatever it is, it's a totally different experience to when you're actually just sitting there as a fan watching the game. And the for you, what do you think the kind of key distinction is between the the experience of when you're working a game and when you're watching it? Like, could you encapsulate that in any particular way? Just how different it feels. It's it's it's, it's totally different,
1: isn't it? You know, it's 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 totally totally different. You have to, yeah. You, you know, you're, when you're watching a game, you, you you obviously have an emotion and you want your team to win, but equally because you are concentrating on on your job and what you're doing. Um, and you know, for example, on Saturday it's a 5:30 kickoff, which is obviously a later one. Which means when when the the, the ref blew the final whistle, we have to mm-hmm. send the match report and all the other journalists, the written journalists, we have to send that match report on the final whistle. That's for the website and then for the paper. We have a little bit of time for the manager quotes. So you know, you, you you're concentrating on the get you, you know, the, the, the game um, and yeah go, going as a supporter is just a totally different experience and you know and I'm glad it is as well and, Should uh, be. and and I think it's I'm not saying it's it's absolutely vital but I I I think um I think it's very important for journalists to, to still go and, and watch games as supporters and, and and I think you know the majority do um certainly um in my experience but you know some don't and I, I just think sometimes you, you have to remember the experiences of what it's like to uh Travel halfway up the country, um, <laughs> see your team play like a sucker. You know what? Get absolutely drenched on. Have a you know uh, an enjoyable but equally awful day, and it's cost you hundred quid. So uh, you, you know, I, I, I think uh, it's good good to
0: still have that. Do you know what though, as well, right? So a lot of people think, yeah, journalism get paid to go and watch football. And sometimes when you're in, especially like if you take an EFL season, you've got forty-six games, probably fifty if you incorporate cup games, give or take, right? Now that is it's it's a long slog and it's it's arduous, it's hard work. But see when you go as a fan and you have an experience of the ilk that you just described, what it does is it kind of reminds you of your privilege, like when you are going out and you're covering games rather than spending 100 quid to go and watch your team get beat 3-0 in the rain 150 miles away, you're, like, you're actually getting paid to do that. And it kind of, when you have an experience of the type, like I went to Southampton away last time in the Premier League and we were pretty dreadful in that No, yeah, I was there, I went
1: as a fan, I was, I was there, yeah.
0: I, I was the same. So yeah. like, I, I went and I watched that game and it was, I mean, it was pretty abject, wasn't it? Mm. So on that basis... You were thinking. I think that was the game that killed Amadou as well. I think that was if it wasn't his last appearance, it yeah. was his last game, wasn't, it? wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And but you can you can remember after an experience like that, it's like, yeah, well, you know what I mean. What about these people that are diehards? They do that week in, week out. They're there, home and away, and it just gives you a, a whole newfound respect, especially for me, right, in England, because growing up in Scotland, it's a smaller country right? So, I mean, even if you've got trips to like Ross County or Aberdeen or whatever it is from where I am down in Ayrshire, then, I mean, it's not quite the same as going to Newcastle away, going to, I mean, the trips to Wales from Norwich are really, really long. If you, if you do those, you know, so yeah, I mean, respect. I'm going to shout out a major shout out of respect to all of the fans that do that week in, week out. Now, just before we go on, Charlie, we're going to go on to talk about um, what it's like, Uh, covering your own club in the media and whether the media generally have been a bit unfair to Norwich in the pre-season prediction. So we are going to come on to that. But what I want to do... Now, this is something I've not done technologically in this stream, guys. So if it doesn't work, please be patient with me. But one one of my podcast ninjas, Ryan Livermore, has put together a cracking video which just encapsulates what it's like being back in a stadium watching football so I'm going to get that hopefully that plays all right and then we'll we'll come back in Charlie so just enjoy this video mate Excellent stuff. Ryan also dedicating that video to anyone who couldn't make it back to the football as well. But that was quite special. Now, I'm not one for for playing out bits of video content in this podcast very often, Charlie, but I just thought that was so good. Uh, I mean, there were a few quite clever film editory techniques there to just properly make you feel like that experience of going back to the football I didn't get to go to the game. I've just been going to behind-closed-doors games at infinitum now. I've not had that experience yet. But it's just great to have proper football back, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it, it, it is. And, you know, he, he, he got everything in there, didn't he? And it just, you know, ticked each box of, of, of the match day. And, and you touched on the point earlier there that, you know, in terms of the distances involved and, you know, if you're a journalist and you've got the privilege of, of you know, watching football, particularly, of course, when it was behind closed doors... But the one thing I think we do forget of all teams, but I think particularly a team like Norwich in, in the county uh, the size of Norfolk, that, you, you know, you mentioned sort of going to Wales for an away game. But, you know, what struck me is obviously the amount of people that watch all the Norwich games who are coming from Wales and the Midlands and the North. And, you know, what, what, they, what they have to sacrifice. You know, they're leaving home at eight o'clock in the morning. And, and, and also because, you know, you, you know, you've got some clubs, let's say, uh, you know, give giving give an example, Fred Brent, Brentford for example. You know, they, they've come in. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, their supporter base is is obviously much smaller, but it's quite tight to West London, isn't it? Where, of course, mm-hmm. you know, in, in in Norwich, to get from uh, you know North Norfolk, where I'm from, particularly where there's no a way of getting to Norwich with public <laughs> transport, and if you're in Kings or if you're in Yarmouth, or you're in Thetford, you know, that it, it's it's quite you know quite some distance you're traveling just just for home yeah. games, let, let alone cambridge here and even parts of suffolk that obviously uh, prefer to watch norwich um so you know fat fans give their whole day um just, just to watch home games let, let alone uh away so um yeah i think you have to appreciate and take into account but not just financially what football fans uh put into supporting the club but just 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 the time
0: no granted but see holistically for the game I mean, obviously, the, the football without fans is nothing. Some of the greatest managers have, have said words to that effect. Matt Busby, Jockstein. Uh, I think everyone realises how important fans are. But for me, see as a, as a product, as a spectacle, whatever nomenclature you want to use, right? It's just not... Uh, the experience of watching a game is transformed. See commentating, right? That's one of the things I do for living. Commentating a game when there was no fans there, you had to work so much harder to make the narrative pop, right? Whereas, see, what I've noticed that I I keep doing in my commentaries now is I'm letting the pictures breathe because you're just hearing fans roaring as players run over to them to celebrate a goal. And, mate, it's absolutely brilliant. And... I'm so, um, I try not to be jealous in my life, right? Well, do you know what? I'll qualify. I'm not jealous, but I am very envious of every single Norwich City fan that got to go to that Liverpool game because it just looked like, and that first on the ball city that we saw at the end of the video there, it was absolutely, the noise, man, like unbelievable. You must have heard that like at the other end of the city. like It was very it was, it was, it was Spectacular.
1: Yeah, it was it was good. You know, I, I, I think I think we knew it probably would be, didn't we? Just just with that build up of emotion, um, and, and hopefully a few more um, that that um, that noisy this season.
0: Yeah, indeed. With the Liverpool game, just touching on that briefly, what did you see? What was your your kind of analysis on in terms of that, and what it showed in terms of where Norwich City are and how they're set up for this season?
1: Yeah, I, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think I actually don't think either team played their best. Um, no, I agree. You, you, you know, Norwich, you have to take into account, you know, the very, very difficult, you know, three, four weeks before. And only having 10 players at training until the week before. As we know, having players that not played in pre-season at all. Um, so, and of course, having new signings. So, I, I think we knew that. I don't think Liverpool um, were, were were great. They deserved to win. I, I, I can see in terms of Norwich did well to keep it at 1-0 until, you know, middle of the second half equally liverpool should, should have scored a couple more uh, in the first half due to the mistakes being made um at the back so i i don't think you can take a great deal from it and there's nothing massively to worry about it really either um and the same goes for the game against manchester city um i think liverpool were just happy to to have got the win um, and I thought Norwich had some encouraging performances. Uh, still a bit too open at the back, but but then look, it's the first game. I, I don't, I don't think.
0: Uh... Well, yeah, it's the first game, but it almost feels like the end of pre-season as well. Yeah. I think there's a danger of letting that narrative sort of exonerate some of the negative things that are there. But the, the, what I would point out is, it's a, it does very much, and actually, even though the the fixture list has been harsh, given. The sort of set of circumstances the COVID and outbreak and all of that sort of stuff that's led to us being at the point where this does feel kind of like the end of pre-season and that we're still priming ourselves for, for for the race ahead kind of having these sort of a lot less winnable fixtures at the start of the season might actually turn out to be a blessing in disguise i'm thinking
1: agree totally
0: um i
1: 100 agree with you i i think again tomorrow uh man is a free hit you yeah, Leicester to a degree also. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I never feel, I understand why, you know, people look at the first four games. I'm looking at the first three games uh, because, because because Arsenal, um, both last season and particularly now, are a team um, that I think, I think Norwich, um, even away, could be looking to, to, to have a real go at. So, Absolutely. I think three very difficult opening games. But I think by the time get to the Arsenal match um I think the players uh would would fancy it to be
0: honest I think so and yeah I I think the Arsenal game even if the the one thing I don't want is and actually the the one element of this that I'm a little bit concerned about is if we do go through that opening quartet of games with Neil Poire Eurovision style right then the you want Burnley rather than Watford because Watford's a team where we obviously came up with them and you're thinking, right, you're then looking at that and thinking you kind of probably need to take the three points just to get that jolt of momentum to get us kick-started. But if we can take anything from the opening three games and and then hopefully something from the fourth, then I'll, I'll look at it and I'm quite confident about Norwich's chances. Just, just back to that Liverpool game, though, mm. you mentioned sort of a few performances gave you encouragement of the new players in particular, which were you most encouraged by? Um,
1: well, I, I think Rashid, sir, I, he caused some problems. Totally yeah. understandable that he, he, he ran um, out of puff a little bit. I, I think there are a couple, he got himself in some good um, situations. And I, I spoke to, to Ben Gibson yesterday and we're doing an um, uh, interview in the paper Saturday. And, and he, he pointed out that there was a couple of moments that, in three or four weeks' time, he'd have known where where Pookie was going to go, so he didn't quite read that. So that, that will that will, yeah. you know that that will happen. I, th- I thought um, obviously a lot of Norwich fans quite rightly raved about Janoulis. I thought going forward he was absolutely brilliant and proved that if Norwich do uh, decide to play with with a back three, which I'd like them to try, um, I think he'd be uh, an outstanding player defensively, uh, as you'd expect. Against a team like Liverpool, uh, there was one or two headers and a, f- a few occasions um, he got caught out. You could argue w- wasn't always being helped by Rashidza. Uh, mm-hmm. Campwell probably supported him a bit better when there was that change. Um, but look, um, I-, I think throughout the team uh, it was pretty it was it, it, it was okay. It was okay. Could could it could it, could have been a lot worse? And, and comparing to two years ago when they lost to Anfield, and I know. Norwich did have praise for for having a go. Um, I've come away from this game feeling
0: a bit more confident than I did when I went to the Anfield match. I am the same. I think what at that point there was the kind of romanticism of the season that we just had, and eighteen nineteen is up there in in the pantheon of greatest Norwich City seasons because it was the way that we played and the amount of late comebacks and the amount of crazy games that there were. And I, I described that I think on Michael Bailey's on the Ball Pod as a swashbuckling orchestra, right? Because which it sounds like two things that don't go together—a complete misnomer. But I think that it was that sort of going at it, and the the, the swashbuckling element is they just having a right good go, and then the orchestral element was the the intricate technical football that we were playing, but that just did not translate at all in terms of coming up to the premier league and trying to to impose that same identity on teams that are just much better at it and and to be honest pound for pound a lot better than we are in terms of quality of player so and the squad is better this time as well i would say but the the key thing for me that has happened in the summer is this switch to 4 because what we're going to be doing is we're going to be predominantly hitting teams in the break, and up that top end of the field is where we've done the heavy lifting so far in terms of transfers. I'm sure you're well aware, and, and I know that definitely a number six, a centre-back probably, and the and left-back, which looks likely to be Brandon Williams in terms of cover, are, are still to come in. But the heavy lifting's been up the top end of the field. And after the game, Daniel Farke, the Liverpool game this is, at the start of this season, Daniel Farke said, it may sound a bit strange because we've just been beating 3-0 at home, but I'm actually a lot more encouraged after watching that game. And you know what? I didn't think that was just a manager coming out with the, the right soundbite. I actually totally agreed with that assessment because I looked at it and I thought, the system that we're going to play, we're going to hurt teams this season. We're going to hurt teams at the top end of the pitch. We're not going to be doing that thing where we're passing it around the box and not actually penetrating through their defensive line, because we are playing a different type of system this year, we're going to be able to get in behind teams, and that for me is the big change. And it's just going to come up, come down to I think the the productivity of the players in the final third. If we have players that are productive in that final third, they're taking chances, creating chances, then I actually think we're going to be fine.
1: Yeah, I mean, I still felt felt two years ago uh, the team was good enough that had enough quality. Albeit inexperienced, to stay up. I mean, you know, I know you shouldn't compare, but you do. But you know, the the the, the Paul Lambert team that got promotion in um, twenty eleven was a mixture of Championship and and um, League One players. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely, was. And, and they had no right to be there, but that they had that mentality, and and, and even though they were similarly open at the back. And but but I felt that two years ago, with the right signings, I know Stuart Weber said they sent Daniel to war without a gun. Um, and, yeah, the signings didn't quite work. I felt the um, – I mean, Norwich's wage bill still wasn't the lowest that season, by the way. It was Sheffield United's. So, yeah, they did, they, they did pay a bit still. But I, I think the tactics and, obviously, the pushing the full-backs up too much, Uh I think with the right tactics and only one or two signings that have worked, I think Norwich could have stayed up. I don't I don't think they're as, as bad as uh, – obviously, losing your final 10 games is very bad. But I, 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 th- I think – before that i still think they had a the chance i think now the signings look good that D- daniel has proven in his his four, his four years that even from mistakes he's made going right back to obviously you know he was a young manager when he came to norwich and i think we're all slightly critical of some of the things that happened right at the start i'm going right back to the opening game against fulham when Oliveira uh, disgraced himself and the fact that he wasn't yeah. punished even when he was playing up in the dressing room days after that should never have kicked the ball again for the club and I, I, th- I think Daniel has, has, has proven the one thing he has done he's always learnt from his mistakes and he's changed and and, and that's why I think he will go on to bigger and better things eventually no um, question, and and that is why I think he'll get Norwich sorted this season uh, I I think his tactics bringing in the players that Stuart Webb has helped him with and maybe one or two others um it will it, work. They'll, they'll be stronger, and, 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 and I don't see
0: Norwich going No, I, I'm totally with you. Just on the, the point of the Lambert team, that sort of team, which I did say at the time, this is a squad of championship in League One players, and it's good to hear you say that because that, that kind of indicates what I was thinking then. Do you think a team... Now, Sheffield United, you might point to here, but do you think a team with that same sort of makeup in terms of quality could... Succeed in the Premier League now.
1: Well, I I I, I think so because the one thing I'd say is, um, and the disappointing thing is, I know it's different times, but I, I actually don't think uh, the Premier League quality-wise in the last two or three years is that good, and that that's why I thought Norwich would have been able to stay up
0: at Do the top you, end. It, well, well yes, yeah. yeah.
1: of course, but I mean, I mean, that that the the bottom half. And when when they went down two years ago, I, I thought Norwich could stay up because the bottom six was so poor, um, mm-hmm. and that was what was so disappointing. Uh, you know, l- last season as well, the the bottom five or six, they they you know, they, they they weren't great, um, and and that's why I think I know occasionally you know we, we've had you know n- not Norwich and West Brom and Fulham bounce around a lot, uh, but invariably you know, looking at the other teams like Swansea and Palace, Sheffield United for one season. Yeah, you know, t- teams have been able to go up and stay up. So that that is why I, I don't think we should kid ourselves. And while the, you know the top teams are very very good, yeah, uh, you know, I I think it, it's it's more than possible to to, to, to stay up um, because I, I just don't think the Premier League's quite as good as um, what um, the TV companies keep telling us. Uh-huh.
0: Yes, that that, that product that they're flogging for ridiculous sums of money. Now, just in terms of it not being that good at the bottom end of the table, I've been having this discussion with a few people and what I'm trying to identify is the teams that I think can finish below Norwich City. Because, do you know that we have I've calibrated where I think we are going to be quality-wise? And I think 15, 16 is where I'm at, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, well, there's a bit of hope in there as well. Yeah. But it's not it's not the blind optimism a couple of years ago. It's and uh, sort of coloured by the season that had just gone. I actually think we've made the right kinds of changes in terms of personnel, in terms of system that I was alluding to a few moments back. But... I'm looking at it now and I'm I'm thinking, right, that's where I think we are in terms of where I think we are pegged. But now I'm saying, right, who are the teams that can finish below us? So, at the moment, the ones that I've identified that I'm quite confident about are Brentford, despite the win against Arsenal. Yeah, I, I think they might finish below us. Yeah. Crystal Palace, if they don't change their manager quickly enough, because Vieira's just franked the board all over again. Another appointment that they... I mean, stylistically might be a bit different, but I think, again, they're going to be a team that just hemorrhages goals rather than being the workman-like outfit that's that's going to be obdurate and hard for teams to break down at times. So I think Palace might finish below us. Other than that, there's nobody that I'm that confident pointing to yet where I think mm, they're definitely a candidate to finish below us. There are a few that could be, but none that I'm sure of. So no, I, my I, signal went slightly there.
1: Yeah, I, I, th- I think Brentford, great result. Um, and it's a great story. And I'm, gl- I'm glad they're in um, the Premier League. And, um, yeah, it's good for football that they've got a... I, I, I think they'll go down. Uh, yeah, I, I All-round squad, looking at them last season. Um, yeah, they've got the season off to a flyer. Pa- I, I, think, I think Watford will be down there again. Um even though that you obviously got some really couple of really quality players, yeah. Um, then you, yeah, you, I agree with Palace. But then you're looking, but there'll be so I think there'll be one or two teams, maybe just one that that really struggles. Be it with a new manager, you not you can't be sure. With Wolves, um, and mm-hmm. they yeah, you because know, it's a totally different style of play they're looking to bring in. You know, it might not work. And then you've got Southampton and you've got Brighton. I, I think you know Newcastle will be the, the normal soap opera without never ever really threatening to go down. Um yeah. you know, Steve Bruce won't let them. So um I, I, I think I think there's enough there to, to to have to have a go at. It's still not going to be easy, it's going to be very difficult. Um, but I, I, I think the Premier League will deliver a, a couple of basket cases for Norwich to to hopefully finish above.
0: That's what I'm hoping, mate. But at the moment, I've not identified who said the basket cases necessarily are yet. But that's a long old season marathon, not a sprint, and all that. Now, I'm going to come on to the kind of meat. What I want to talk to you about. So, again, th- th- this this is this is an interesting conversation because uh, even though you're far far greater accredited accredited journalist than I, easy for me to say, um, I. Oh, know what it's like and i've sort of done it for a decade now and i know what it's like when you're covering your own club now and it's an interesting balance and it's a balancing act really because journalistically you find out stuff and there's most the vast majority of stuff that you do find out you can't print because you either can't stand up you're not sure about it whatever and there's also that that trust that you need to build with people because you build relationships, you build relationships of trust where they share stuff and you don't automatically just... Because people have this impression that journalists, you hear something and it's like, okay, stop the presses, we're going to run that. And it's nothing like that. It's more like you, you hear quite a lot of information, you try and sift through that, find what the truth actually is from speaking to a variety of people rather than just one and then you decide to report what you think is in the public interest to report but also... It's about leveraging those relationships, but not trampling upon them just to get the next big story. So that balancing act becomes even more delicate when you're covering your own club. Because and and what happens is it becomes not just your, your head that's involved, but your heart as well. And that's just a natural human reaction, isn't it? So, what's that like for you? Because you're I mean you're operating at the, the kind of top end of the, the, the Fleet Street Press. So What's that like for you when you're you're talking and writing about Norwich City?
1: Well, it's a balancing act, and I have real sympathy for for colleagues that may let's say cover well co- co- covering Celtic Rangers, the, the the guys that do that on a daily basis. It, it, it's got a it. very very difficult job. Yeah, um, Liber- you know, the, I've got friends who, who, who are Liverpool fans, and obviously they cover. Liverpool and Everton and and, and pals in London. It's, it's it's a bit different if you're doing Norwich and the national press, because I probably don't write about them as much as those guys on a daily basis. But you still have a decision to make. Of course, you know, you work for the Sun, uh, particularly social media now. Well, obviously, I've seen vast majority of social media. It hates us. Um, <laughs> and You know, you have to accept that and deal with that. So, so and of course, they think that every time you write a story, it's there, it's there. You know, you've, you've um, done it for, you know, clicks. Um, and and, um, and you know you're making it up, and you just decided to, to do it. Well, of course, you know. I mean, I built the sum twenty five years, so twenty five years ago this month. Yeah, you know, if, if you just wrote everything you knew, or if you weren't sure, you didn't check it out, um, you, you'd either you'd have no one talk to you. And of course, it's not like being a news reporter, because if you were a news reporter for a particularly a national paper, you can write stuff about people, and you might not see them again. Whereas in football now, you know, I, I'm, de- I'm dealing with um, obviously you, you, you've got the the people uh, in the comms officers that you deal with. Maybe they go to different clubs, and you speak. And of course, you know, you sometimes yeah, you, know, you need their help. for, you know, you know, for for an interview and to talk to people, um, managers that maybe what I knew as a player um, now they're now sort of same age as me or, or, or younger, and then those players are now managers or those players may now be agents. Um, I'm finding that more now, uh, the mm-hmm. last or four years. So, so you have to have relationships with people, otherwise no one's going to talk to you again. So, of course, you know, if, if, if we just write what we feel online and and things that might seem odd, um, I'm not saying we write all the time because that's impossible. It doesn't matter who you work not. for. Uh, and, then, you know, sometimes you think what you think is right. Um, and... I mean, the, the, the most the most difficult one is transfers I find because and that's why you know sometimes now I think you you' you're writing about transfers later on than you used to because now a a, a club and Norwich will be the same now you know they're, they're say so they're looking for they're looking for another central defender which they are aren't they um mm-hmm. I imagine they it would be remiss of them I know they've missed out on 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 one or two targets they'd still be going for three or four players so we could write the story. That Norwich are in for this, 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 and they're all probably right, and they're probably talking to to, but but so now I think you find that we're leaving the Chancellor stories a little bit later for them to actually yeah rather than just they're interested in this player, uh because because but you know so I can see why people look at that and that didn't happen. Is that, is that is that a trust
0: thing? By the way, what why, why do you think these things are getting reported later? Is that is that a concern? Well, I, I, I think, I think, I think you, know, you know, I don't I don't think clubs used to have
1: as many targets for one position as they used to, and it doesn't mm. sound like oh, I'm making excuses, and I, you know I accept that. But 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 now you know that the the, you know, the Buendia one was interesting. That you know we we were you know hearing stuff, and I don't know there were stories last year about various clubs being interested in. I, I I don't think. At the time, I don't think anyone made any major major offers, or they didn't. I think Sheffield United showed a little no, bit of interest, but it, literally it was only we left until c- quite late on when we knew Villa and Arsenal were actually uh, making bids for him that we started get you know ru- you know running the story uh, and equally Gilmore with Chelsea. So we probably leave it a bit later now because there are so many twists and turns. But in terms of you know, covering your club, you have to make a judgment call. You, you do speak to people that used to be involved with the club, and and maybe that some are, and and you know that they I, I think you know, I'd like to think I've got a, a good relationship with Norwich. I'm sure there'll be occasions in the past we've we'll pissed them off a bit, but I, I think you've always got to be fair. And, it, and 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 equally, if if it is a story, um, I'm just trying to think of one that that uh, Alex Neal was. Um, Given a new contract, despite having got relegated a few years ago, I think when they had a a, a difficult start start, um, and I think Ed, Ed Balls at the time sort of said, "No, that's that's not true," or something. A story like that, we, we'd have only written once we, we we'd have run it past the club. Put it that way, you know, yeah. something, something like that. You have something like that. you have to stick on the the club, uh, even if they don't comment so um otherwise they they just never deal with you ever again so I I think sometimes supporters have to bear that in mind there'll be there'll be other stories that would just maybe cause you so much hassle even if they're they're good stories um I think I think
0: uh is this pertaining to more sort of off-field extra yeah yeah yeah. yes
1: so so so, so, you you know and and maybe if it was a a, an England player or, or you, you might do it, you might not, but but you know we, we hear stuff that we can't we can't necessarily uh, prove, or even if we can, uh, I, I I know Norwich when they're in the last Premier League under uh, around sort of the Chris Hughton time, there was we were hearing a couple of things of you know players having you know women appear at the hotel rooms away games um, and and that sort of stuff. Um, I think what that particularly uh, sort of a very expensive. Dutch striker that, that then manic may have been dropped, and so so you know you're hearing bits and pieces scoring
0: off you? the field if not on
1: it. it yeah, it, <laughs> exactly. It's just It's just it's um, just it's just not worth it. It it, 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 go, it goes on at other clubs, and sometimes it, I know uh, when it's Olivier Giroud, yeah um, that that yeah that appears at the front of the paper. So sometimes as um so there, there is a difference between a football reporter and a news reporter and i don't think players understandably always see the difference between what goes on at national paper at the front or at the back but there there there, there, there is a difference and i certainly think clubs and managers realize that but i think pl- players who obviously you know have got a deep mistrust of, of the press not all um but obviously some as, as fans have as well let's let's be honest about it um uh, full club
0: <laughs> Folk love us now. Um, just a, a couple of interesting questions emerge from that. So, one is at what point in, in the if it's a sports news story, uh, so something that's front page news, uh, but pertaining to a, a back page protagonist, at what point in the, the editorial decision making process do you decide, right? It's we're going to put a news reporter on this. A sports reporter, so that's that's question one, and I'm going to roll these together because it feels like you'd be better talking about both at the same time. And the second one is just based on the the gravitas of the player. So you mentioned Giroud as an example, right? So Olivier Giroud is uh, doing something that's sort of front page news. You would run it because of the the stature of the player, right? Or if it's an England international, you wouldn't necessarily run it about Norwich players. But what what? Level a player, or what are the factors that are considered when you go right? Do we really want to run this potential front page story? How does that whole decision making process work between the news team, the sports team, and whether you run something or not? Talk us through that kind of stuff. I, I
1: mean, it, 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 it invariably, if, if we if we get a call from you know the the news desk about someone like Olivia Giroud, uh, we we just then just basically give them the uh, Arsenal press officer's telephone number and go, here we go. You can, you, you can, you can carry on with that one. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and then, you know, not, not Norwich, you know, you'd have, have to make the judgment call you, 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 yourself really. And, and obviously, you know, what goes on in people's private lives. It's a little bit different. Obviously it's then different when it comes to an actual um, situation where it's involved and being dropped from the team. Um, and and that sort of stuff mm. so, so sometimes you you may have heard about it three or four days or even a week or two weeks too late so it's just really not not worth it and and you know for, for five paragraphs in the paper the the, the 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 upset it will cause so that's not it's not worth doing um so you know you, you do have to make a, an issue sometimes it's obviously things quite right right rightly legally you can't do so for example a recent example is um you know, it, it, it was known that Aubameyang and Lacazette had, uh, w- within sort of journalistic circles, that they both had COVID, um, which is why they didn't play against Brentford. Arsenal released a statement yesterday. Um, and it's interesting, obviously, you know, journalists, you, you can't write that. You can't can't write that they've got COVID without specifically those people's permission. I mean, people on Twitter, obviously, just, just write anything, don't they? But it was interesting <laughs> that, you know, around the weekend, people were um, – there's the, the you know the normal bullshit that, that those two had had a fight and it was really getting some momentum um, because they were just putting two and two together. Um, but you know you just can't e- e- even though we knew that wasn't true. You obviously can't say that they've got COVID. And, and at one stage, Arsenal last Friday afternoon thought the game was going to have to be called off against Brentford. Mm. Um, you know that that that's an issue, but there, there's different. So there's you know legal issues as well, and, and you know while while again. You know, you you work for a red top, and you put stuff on Twitter, and um, people obviously say, you know, you've lied and you've made it up. Um, you know, there, there, there is particularly if you work for a, for a paper, you know, there is there is the law, and, and <laughs> you know, new, newspapers, uh, sorry, of clubs can be quite litigious, and and uh, quite rightly, if, if if you've written stuff that's that's you know, totally wrong, and equally with some, you know, it seems to be different rules in Twitter, doesn't it? Stuart, you know, it's. I I
0: remember um, talking to my media law lecturer about this, uh, Paul Gubbins, God rest him, by the way, absolute legend uh, of Staffordshire University's journalism (laughs) department. But me and him were talking, and what he said was that the rules of engagement have completely. Now, this was, so I was doing my degree between 2009 and 2012, so that's a wee while ago now. But he was saying then that the rules of engagement have completely changed. And I'd be interested to know what you think in terms of how that has influenced reporting. So do you think it's actually gone kind of sort of inversely It's kind of made journalists actually maybe be a bit safer rather than, and I don't just mean on social media, I mean in terms of the actual reporting of the stories because of all of the misinformation, because of how quickly as you just, sort of exemplified there something can blow up that is absolute bollocks
1: yeah it's different yeah I mean you you still have to apply the same rules and be careful but it's interesting when when, uh, I joined when when I started at the Sun you'd get story tips either by people just speaking to people or you'd get people ringing in the office and you'd get someone with a tip and it's funny the amount of stories a lot of the time it'd be bullshit but but sometimes the, the, the ones that you think aren't true often are and it's amazing how many black taxi drivers that the, the, those they're not ringing in for money. They just say, like, "Oh, I've heard this," and they, they just they got you know they're in a quiet spot in a layby somewhere. And I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll ring ring the newspaper with it. And invariably, the black cab tips with the you know I've just, I've just had so and so, and I've dropped him off at Arsenal's Tottenham's training ground, and uh, you know that 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 sort of thing. But now of course it's and then they maybe when it's when it changed or we didn't we didn't even have e- emails at the sun in 1996 <laughs> believe it or not and, and sun online sunsport only had one uh, one internet uh, terminal as well um
0: madness but, isn't it to think back like. <laughs> and,
1: uh, and and, uh, and then e- people started emailing stories and, and and now to be honest people just put it on twitter don't they they want ownership if it's true they want ownership of this story uh, which which is you know fair enough they they want to be that person that gets it out there uh, e- equally, it's the you know the, the other nonsense, the really dangerous nonsense, and the obviously the online abuse um, and stuff like that, which, which I, th- I think it's you know difficult to. Uh, it's it's just uh, it's virtually impossible to, to police, isn't it? Despite the efforts of the of the social media companies, which is obviously not necessarily good enough.
0: Did you did you have a view? Just we're talking about abuse. Did you ever I mean, I'm sure you're going to condemn it. But in terms of the, the chanting that was directed to Billy Gilmore, I, I think what I would like to say is, I think the restorative and, and redressive steps that, that Liverpool took in the midst of that, doing the sit-down with Klopp, all of that kind of stuff. Fair play to Liverpool for, for, for coming out, talking about it, admitting that, that it happened and saying, look, this needs to be dealt with. If there's a problem in our fan base, we're going to tackle it. Fair play to Liverpool.
1: Yeah, fair play to, to- to, to, to Jurgen Klopp, um, that's sort of in contrast to sort of, you know Gary Rowett's comments, not really criticising the Millwall supporters for the booing of the knee the other night. It's total contrast, isn't it? So you know, fair play to Klopp. Well done, Liverpool. Well, well done the supporters group at Liverpool. weren't afraid to to dig their own fans out. I mean, I, I didn't hear it. I'd be, I'd be interested to know how many supporters in that in sort of the the lower Barkley heard it, or, or obviously the, the South Stand as well. But where we were, I didn't know about it until um, it was on agency Saturday night. When once the the, the, uh, the club had criticized the supporters, so I haven't heard it. Uh, it's obviously a chant that's been sung for years, and ho- hopefully now it doesn't make it right, by the way. Uh, and hopefully no. now Klopp's comments will, will, you know, we'll put an end to, to
0: this sort of embarrassing guy we'll see when Liverpool play Chelsea because that's going to be the key isn't it uh now in terms of the the other side of it just uh, I noticed that the Liverpool Echoes man was uh tweeting about the Norwich fans doing the sign-on chant uh to 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 the Liverpool supporters do you think that's where where do you think the kind of line comes between the the differences there
1: well, I mean, that, every club, every, every, every club, um, again, doesn't make it right. But I mean, that, that's just that, that's just knockabout behaviour, isn't it? I think there's a to you know, I, I think there's a difference there. And, and, and let, let, let's be honest, you know, Nor- 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 Norwich fans, um, you know, with various songs, have had a bit coming up, you know, our way as well. Um, i mean, in get getting out, know, but but particularly in the late eighties, fans used to just make sheep noises at us. And um, you know and stuff like that, which <laughs> moved on,
0: moved on a bit. But that was quite common. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I find that really funny. Yeah, I never yeah, knew that. i have just, I'm just get this weird image in my head. of have going. Bah. We well, like did. They did. And,
1: and you know, we, we, you know, we, we, we we, did, we, we didn't leave there raging. And now there's, you know, the, the chant. You, know, your sister is your brother, and all this sort of stuff. You know, it, I don't think there's any Nor- Norwich fans who just think that that's a bit rubbish. And um, not very, you know, very original. But but that's, so I, I think you've got to be, you know, to a degree, you know, grown up about stuff as well. You know, obviously, you know, you're you then talking, you know, fr- from that, you know the, the homopho- you know, the homophobic stuff, which yeah. is obviously Chelsea. All all and, 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 and then you, you, you take it up to, you know, the crap involving, you know, Munich, Man United fans, obviously Liverpool, Hillsborough. And, and then you know it's not just england that's got the problem you know, it, it it italy um you know you've got the torino supporters who uh, t- their songs about their team that the Supergar, that the, the team that crashed into a mountain you've obviously got juventus supporters have a lot of stuff about high salt sung at them so you know it, it's I, I I hope that we are you know m- moving away from that but equally the the sign on thing for a start norwich aren't the only fans that I do a lot of Liverpool away games. I would say the vast majority do that. And I know some Liverpool journalists have got very defensive, and I know some have then gone to. I think Brian Reed at the Mirror a few times um, has then you know put out the you know the statistics of the current jobless in, in a nap specific club <laughs> to Liverpool, Brilliant. and, and, he, you know, and it's, it's just like yeah, but you know, whatever.
0: I mean, like, uh, the the jobless statistics. It was something when I was doing local radio reporting, we used to get them monthly. We'd get, like, how many people were signing on or not signing on and stuff like that. I mean, to be honest, I think it's a moot debate. My my main view on that was that if, if Ian Doyle at The Echo is tweeting about that when the Norwich City a uh, Norwich City footballer has been subjected to homophobic chanting from the Liverpool fans. That feels like a complete diversion of attention that should not have happened. So I, I would yeah. be critical of that unless he wasn't aware of that. Uh, well if, if, if he was was that was that during the game he did that sorry. So, so I was it was after the game he right. was tweeting it and he was like uh so the Norwich fans were chanting yeah. sign on and I'm thinking right hang on a minute like in terms of the the gravity of of yeah, chanting sure. misdemeanor that's lower down the pecking order. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, and, and fair play fair play to Liverpool was a safer for coming out and tackling it the way they did. But anyway, I'm, I'm going to move it on a wee bit to... So we've, we've spoken about, like, personal experience, what it's like covering your club in the media. But the media have peed me off this week, Charlie, because I have been looking at so many pre-season, or sort start of start-of-season predictions for Norwich City, and the level of analysis goes thus. They've sold their best player, we haven't really looked at who they've bought. They're going to go down and they're going to probably finish bottom or bottom two. That's that's the sum total of analysis from the vast majority of outlets about Norwich City this season. That That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing they've sold by India so they're going to go down. Simple, right? Not looking at the very, very creative approach we've taken to transfers, where we're signing one of the top talents, one of the top 50, and in some people's lists, the top 20 young talents in, across Europe in Christos Cholis. We've signed a really, really experienced and, and handy league and player for a, a very, very good value fee in Pierre-Les Malou, adding some much-needed experience to the team. We've made permanent the signings of Dimitri Cianoulas, Mr. No Breaks, and Ben Gibson, who struck up uh, a historically successful partnership with Grant Hanley at the back in the Championship last season. We've got Milot Rashica, who before he sort of started casting his eyes elsewhere for a move, was on fire in the Bundesliga for Werder Bremen. We've brought in another player from that team, and likewise with Cholas coming in, you've now got two coming from palk And these relationships are really important in terms of players bedding into a new culture, a new country, a new club. So. There's a whole... Uh, Billy Gilmer coming from Chelsea who emerged as probably the most coveted of the the gettable young British talents that you could have got on loan from a big Premier League team after the Euros. So that whole smorgasbord of stuff and people are like, they've sold Wendia, so they're going to finish bottom. It just has really annoyed me. Mate. Uh, how do you feel about it? What yeah, you think, I, I, you think I, it's lazy I, journalism? Well, I, I think that... There's two
1: things here. Look, f- 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 first of all, you can't blame people for thinking Norwich might go down. In that, the last seven years in the Premier League, they've gone down for, in five of them.
0: That's um, not what I'm annoyed about. No,
1: no. no <laughs> and, and so, so um, same with obviously West Brom as well. Now, I, I think I think they're wrong um, for a start. <laughs> so I do think they're yeah, wrong. Yeah, um, And I, I, I think they're probably just taking a half guess equally we're into the realms of dream team marks now is that what what happens is and we mentioned that in a minute but and we've all been there that suddenly they get get an email and say right we want your, your top four in the year three relegated and um you know they'll, they'll have a quick think and they go right, like, bosh 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 like go down do that and they'll just think you know they went down two years ago and and then you know, it is 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 a you know, is subjective, and you know, some of them won't know what what's happened inside the club. Some will think, well, they could, some might might know the details of who they've signed. They might still think that they'll go down, uh, but I do think they're wrong. Uh, but 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 equally, again, there's one thing we don't have to do that anymore at the Sun. Now we've got a separate company that do it. But there's one thing that that. The, the you know the, the amount of stick. If there's one thing o- over the past year, two decades uh, that we can we can write about footballers and you know r- write about them during games, the one thing of course they'd look at is the marks out of ten. And there's nothing that uh, uh, and sometimes you'd be watching a game and you're thinking right okay it's tw- uh, what's what what twenty six players. So, now it's obviously you know it it, it, it can be more. Um, and you're thinking well I don't remember what the what what, what did their left back play like you, you, you know you've probably watched thinking well I'd probably better give him a six and of course it it, it might and it's, it's not being lazy it's just like you're marking twenty six people and, and and sometimes you know we've we've all done it there's no excuse for getting the man of the match giving him a four um and you know it, it's it's the one thing you ask any footballer maybe not so much now because footballers don't read newspapers. Um, mm-hmm. but not younger ones and they, they, they just don't um, mm-hmm. but um, they might be aware of their marks but there's one thing that amount of stick um, and, and the, the issues it causes. and I, I've, I've got um, and I've gone off of a bit of a tangent but yeah, you know, footballers I know yeah, you know, quite a few of them have admitted to me that they've seen individual careers at a club nosedive and go in a different path because mm-hmm. They were looking at the marks out of ten. That's a real, 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 real common thing. I, I mean, once um, I remember, you know, Vinnie Jones. He, um, when he was at Wimbledon, he he once uh, our um, our reporter Vicky Orvice, uh, he, he sadly you know he's passed away now, and, and, and Vicky used to laugh about the story. She once went up to the training ground, and she got told to, to, to f off by Jones. Those days you could just walk to the training ground because he was seven and not six out of ten, and it was a real issue for him. And when he was on Celebrity Big Brother, I remember telling the, the missus who is Italian and wasn't, wasn't you know, knows a football but you know, wasn't aware of you know, a Wimbledon midfielder, uh, Leeds or whatever. And it was by absolute coincidence that that one moment he told the, 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 the other people in the show that if there was one thing. his whole career that used to wind him up and he was shaking with rage was that if he got six out of ten and he should have been the seven or out of eight and and, you know so for him having a great career probably overachieved um and you know ended up in hollywood because of it it's a a real real issue um and it used to be for robbie savage as well robbie savage had got it into his head that the the london journalists at the sun deliberately marked him down and and um and he once communicated to our Midlands reporter that you've got to tell the London lot for not giving me shit marks, which is utterly bizarre. We really weren't targeting Robbie Savage. But so, you know, some, sometimes the point being predictions in the paper
0: sometimes will be more hassle than it's worth. <laughs> uh, no, do you know what? I, I think you make an interesting point. However, I think if outlets are, if, if they are going to be committing to doing these actually do you know what i'm going to pick up on the player ratings first because i thought you made some really interesting points on the player ratings right i think there's um, like there's no journalistic resource really poured into it which is what you've kind of just admitted and it was the same like if a player if sorry if a a journalist out doing a game at any of the papers that i've worked for we're
1: we're paying for a company a, a separate company that it, it's all done in the office, and it, it's whether it's right or
0: wrong. But that, that we're no, that's fine. Done. That's fine. That that that's a departure because the yeah. papers that I was working no, for, it true. was like they basically did their match report, and then it was oh right, I've got to do the ratings as well. Now, exactly. interestingly, I ended up in the the Rangers press box for a pre-season friendly against Wigan, right? And they were like, oh, uh, we'll pay you 30 quid if you do some ratings for us, right? Which is not a great deal of money, but I thought, all right, okay, it gives me something to do. And you know what, mate? It was like the best crafted player ratings ever. I Didn't do didn't go too extensive in the paragraphs? Everything was one paragraph, right? But maybe two or three sentences of incisive insightful comment in their performance and i got like a note back saying those are the best player ratings that we have ever ever read and it was just because i was able to actually allocate my time specifically to that one task and it was amazing the difference rather than a composed but effective like sort of show blurb about kind of generalities of the of the thing so i think that's an interesting point you make however on the predictions thing that I don't think that's the same because it's not that that's something where you're taking a holistic view and you're actually pausing for thought. Yeah. So I don't think they're necessarily comparable in that score. And I think if a company or or an outlet is is actually committing itself to going, do you know what we're going to predict how how people are going to finish? And I know there's loads of stories floating about and journalists are overworked. I mean, I've I've done the job. I know that. But if you're if you're going to allocate time to doing something, then at least have a look at who they've brought in and who's gone out. And even if you've not heard of some of the Germans, do a wee bit of reading on them. You know, are players coming for Germany? Are players coming for Greece? You know? And, like, making it as simplistic as, oh, they've sold Buendia, they're going to be crap. I, I I just think it strikes of a lot of the pressures affecting the industry and it's affecting the quality output. Because if that's the quality of analysis, if you say they've gone for some interest in transfers I don't think they'll come off yeah and that's why they'll finish bottom two I accept that if you're going to see the have Buendia so they're going to finish bottom two ignoring how busy we've been in the transfer market it's nonsense
1: the, the, I agree the other problem is even if you sometimes do think about it it probably tells you more about my judgment than anything but um I remember in what it would have been what twenty. 15, we had to give our predictions at the start of the season and I put something on Twitter and obviously wish I hadn't, but I was never going to delete it because uh, <laughs> I think that's gutless. But um, I had one of the predictions for the team was that their struggle, they'd get relegated because they appointed a manager and it wouldn't work and they'd go down. Unfortunately, that team was Leicester City and they won the Premier League. <laughs> Um, and and it wasn't like i i I just thought if you could thought i I thought ranieri was a was a bad appointment he was a mercenary obviously where he's gone since has not quite worked unfortunately he engineered the greatest premier league story ever and i had them going down so
0: Well, mate, good on you for keeping that up. I've kept some tweets up that are very much skeletons in my closet as well because I just think, I mean, like you live and die by the courage of your convictions, you know? Yeah. I mean, whether you're right or wrong. So I'm, I'm with you on that score. James Henderson, is uh, he, he says, you can't get bent out of shape about the predictions. Your points about signings are valid, but it doesn't mean we won't miss Emmy Wendy's creativity. And look at our history. Good shout, we will go down. I think that's... I think that that's a fair enough perspective. Yeah, but I, I think now's the time to at least try and maintain some positivity. Just on the start of the season, we were kind of alluding to this earlier. At what point do you think the pressure cooker gets sort of ratcheted up to the point that it might affect performances? Because it's a simple thing: pressure, right? If Emmy Buendia or sorry, if Timu Puki's running through, and he's got a chance, right? and Norwich City have started the season with a win and a draw, say, right, then you go into that third game, Timu Pukki's running through, and he's got nothing to lose, he's got everything to gain, right, if he's running through in the Watford game, and we've still got no points on the board, then the pressure's on him to try and put that chance away, so I'm not saying that the pressure's not there anyway, it's not that it's non-existent, but is different depending on the circumstances heading into the game. And I'm using Puki just as, as one example. But at what point do you think the pressure cooker gets ratcheted up? Because we have got this difficult start to the season. But if we go through five games, including the Watford game, and we've still got no points at that point, yeah. surely that's the stage where not are beginning to play catch-up and it gets troublesome, right?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think there's probably more pressure on Daniel Farker than there is the players. Because particularly the, the players that have come in, that they know that they're going to be afforded time to try and fit into the Premier League. They deserve time. They will need time. Um, you know, P- P- Pookie's proven that he can score goals. Uh, obviously, two years ago it was a mixture of the broke. Was it broke his toe or something? Was it at Leicester? And I know not a great deal was made about it, but that's that never going to help a striker in that situation. Then he suffered a loss of confidence, but that was not helped by the team that, quite frankly, were just not 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 good enough in the, the final third. And and I think because Daniel. Fark was there for that. I think the pressure might hit him quicker than it would do players who are like, "Well, it's like, well, yeah, what happened? to go two years ago? Doesn't make any difference to me because I've only been here for a few weeks." So, Mm -hmm. uh, and and then you've got the experience of players like Tim Cruel, which will help, and obviously Gibson and Hanley have been through tough times. So, I, I I think there's there there is pressure on the manager not now, but I I think if we get to November, December. and you know they'll you know obviously stick with him anyway as they've proven before, and, and I'm sure they will. But there's there's pro- probably more pressure on Daniel than the actual team, I think anyway.
0: Even though Stuart Weber's basically alluded to the fact he's got a job for life. Like, oh yeah, uh, no, no. I
1: don't I don't say that there's, there's pressure that he, he's going to get the sack.
0: I just think there's
1: just pressure on him as a manager to maybe to have uh, making the changes and stuff, which. He might necessarily not need to be doing um because you know he, mm. it's, it's a difficult one isn't it you've got a player who's come from Verde bremen you, you you know and say he's not playing well hopefully that won't be right but you think well you know I, I, he needs to be given time but maybe i should give him a rest so there's there's, there's pressure on the manager to make those sort of decisions whereas obviously that you know the player might be playing struggling but we think well, you know, just give me time. So, I, th- I think they're two slightly different things,
0: fair enough. No, I, I appreciate where you're coming from. Then, in terms of the summer signings, who are you most excited about? Uh, I mean, I asked in, in reference to the Liverpool game, but I'm, I'm talking more generally of, of everyone we've signed. Is that is there anyone that you're really excited um, to see? Well, you know, Gil, 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 Gilmore, um,
1: he's obviously going to be a star, isn't he? Uh, Norwich have done exceptionally well to get him. I, I mean, you know, you, you're looking at I think obviously Rashid uh, has had interest from big clubs in the past. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much interest was shown in him now. Obviously, a bit. You know, he, he is a, you know, he's going to be a talent. Um, and you know, if you know, if, if, if you're signing you know, another player from Werder Bremen, you know, you blo- bloke that captain Nice for half of last season. You know, you, you, you've got some, you know, good players there. Um, Obviously, you know a, a, another player from uh, from Greece and Israel as well. So, uh, but I, I'd I'd say Gilmore because he's the one team player that I imagine teams who would be going for in and around Europe would want. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, someone like well, not necessarily West Ham because they're probably all right in that area, but 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 maybe. But you've got players teams that would be pushing for six, seven days that would want Gilmore in their team. Um, so that's why I think it's such a a great coup and terrific that norwich now have this relationship with with chelsea and their manager of course who uh daniel farke and thomas Tuchel. And, and maybe um this time next year uh they'll still be in the premier league and we'll get another chelsea player uh, but but equally talking about buendia i think people outside norwich and i think particularly norwich fans have to accept the fact that um wendy has gone now if they do stay in the premier league norwich will do and they will have to sell campwell or, or Max Ahrens, and I think that is the only way this club progresses. If it makes any sense, is by selling their best player or one of their best players every year. Doesn't sound ideal, but just look at Southampton. If Southampton, I think, are the uh, not only have they stayed in the Premier League, but just look who they've sold. to. I mean, I mean yeah. just from from you know Mane to to Van Dyke to Lovren to to Lalana uh, to Schneiderlin, let, let alone all the homegrown players like you know. O- and obviously going back to Vale and Walcott um, and Luke Shaw it's incredible that they're bringing players through but also making clever signings Um, Armstrong's good value at that
0: that. fee Armstrong's good value at that fee I think and it's I, I like Southampton I like the way they go about it but I do think a bit like norwich city eventually they might sell the wrong player not replace them right and fall back out of the league again but they're always going to be challenging to get back in it and what's quite encouraging about norwich city is that we now seem to be in that bracket of teams who once we fall out we're not sort of falling back down into obscurity we do seem to be immediately ready to challenge to come back up again and i don't necessarily think that's just tied down to the manager. Or even Stuart Weber. I just think the setup at the football club and more the structure and the methodology of the thinking is such now that it's modern, and I think that I think Norwich City have kind of moved up a little bit in that score. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I do. But I also think, uh, and you're right, everything you say there. And I think the one group of people, uh, particularly with what happened uh, at the end or two years ago. Uh, or, 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 well, you know, 18 months ago when they got relegated, you have to praise the supporters. And I think the the supporters have made, helped make an easy decision for the board to stick with Daniel. And because they, that the club knew they've got the supporters support, they knew that at no stage were the majority of sensible fans interested in making a change despite a terrible end to the season. I don't think this would have been the same at other clubs. And then, no, you know, no, they, absolutely not. They would have got on the players' backs? And I know, I know, people think you know Norwich fans. You, you've got obviously idiots on Twitter, but but not not Norwich. You know the supporters at the ground. you know, I think they give a bit. Of, I don't like the stick they give to to, to some of the homegrown players in the past. Obviously, count on now. But but generally, they're a very very sensible bunch. And even last season, um, eighteen months ago, sorry, they saw what was going on. There was no desire for for not really. There was no with you know. Canary call again apart from the small minority there was not that feeling so the board knew there was no desire from the supporters to make the change so all of a sudden it makes their job easier doesn't it whereas other clubs they're looking at it thinking well yeah we want to keep them but you know we've got you know 70% of, of them want them out uh, this manager out and now they're, they're all hitting the phones and they're on tv and and so I, I think the board were helped by the fans being pretty sensible normal realistic and that everyone's been rewarded for for you know remaining sane and you know having belief in the manager now let's hope they can now you know build and and be better than uh, that last season
0: yeah, I'd, but I'm confident they will be uh, and I, I totally agree with what you said about Billy Gilmore I think as well another another factor in what we've said about Norwich City moving up that wee bit is looking at the likes of Ollie Skip going and, and now being a starter or at least in the first team picture at Spurs it's yet another example of uh, a talent coming down from one of the, the higher echelon Premier League clubs coming down to Norwich City getting a great grounding in playing football the right way and then going back into the the top division ready to actually influence things in a better way and that can only be good for our football club and if we fall out of the Premier League one of the wee benefits of it is we can get more of those players in on loan yeah. rather than it being capped so I think that is a I think that is a real positive and th- there's there's so much to be happy about in terms of the direction of the football club at the moment and obviously if Stuart Weber Daniel Fark can move on it's about getting the succession right. But I just have a feeling that, and what I love about it as well, is everybody always thought, oh, sleepy old Norfolk, sleepy old Norwich. We've actually gone out and we've been one of the most forward-thinking clubs in the country when it comes to how, how we go about stuff. And I, I I really, I'm quite proud of that as a Norwich fan.
1: Yeah, and, you yeah, know, they've got this, what is it, this three-quarters of a million pound, is it the football bot? I don't think it's called that. But, you know, this thing, that the training ground that some yeah. of the Dortmund and, and a few of the other clubs have got, the first English club to have that. I think the one thing that you want, and it's not it's generally not possible, is, is to to create some sort of legacy. And that's used quite a Absolutely. lot. And I I think they are now. And the reason being is that to to when you're looking at the you know, for a start, youngsters can see a pathway if even if they're not from Norfolk, they want to join Norwich. And that's why they had to sell Emmy Wendy to prove that there is the pathway to progress, of course. But I think what's happening at the training ground and through the youth teams and the style of football, um, and the, the way the club is, even though they still will, will still make mistakes. Um, but and, and obviously, that you know, it, it as and when you know Stuart Webber leaves and they bring someone else in or bring someone you know back who's worked for the club previously. I, th- I think you can now it's there, there's a process, and 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 exactly the same has happened with England. And you know, what, people might look at Gareth Southgate and they'll think, well, yeah, but you should have done this in the final, you should have done that. I've what, made you,
0: this point, I've made this point you're making. Yeah. He's
1: transformed England That to 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 something that we will, should always be uh, grateful that all of a sudden England players, for a start, they're not hated by fans anymore. And he's changed that perception. But the under-21s want to play for England. I remember a few years ago the under-17 World Championships in Colombia, I think there were 55 England players who were pulled out by their clubs. You're talking about, you know... Wow. This this was some type of, and and Southgate was under twenty ones manager at the time and they were appalled what was going on clubs and the, I, I blame Alex Ferguson who started this and and you know basically telling players to to, to not play international football prioritize club two time Ryan Giggs never played a friendly for Wales City but yeah. and, and and now all of a sudden Premier League clubs have lost that power and they want to play for their country and they want to play for England and moving forward when Southgate leaves whether it's after the World Cup or after the Euros in Germany in three years' time, that, that that there is a clear thinking forward. And I think Norwich have got that, which not necessarily they had before. Certainly most clubs don't have that clear thinking anyway, because they're all over the shop. Because Premier League clubs, people think they're this great, structured, scientific business. You know, the vast oh, majority of clubs, they're an absolute shambles. And, and that goes with you know, a lot of EFL teams as well. Uh, and and they've basically both-
0: living manager to manager, a lot of them, yeah. you know, on living or, or whatever the setup comes in is, living basically from one power structure to another. Whereas yeah. it feels like Norwich have more of a smooth line, it's more of a line than a sort of a graph, you know. And I think that is something that we can be proud of. You're spot on about Southgate. He basically came, and I, I said when he got the England job, I said, if he does this right, he'll be England's yogi love. And that is exactly what he's done. He's synergized everything into a pipeline going from the youth teams upwards. And yeah, he played... I mean, where he's not like Yogi Love is he's probably got a slightly more defensive methodology tactically, unsurprising given the type of player he was maybe. But I, I think Southgate has, has done an amazing job at England. And see, when people were criticising them. After the Croatia game, like that opened the Euros, and uh, and even at the end of the group stage, like oh yeah, it's too defensive. I said defense wins tournaments, and it nearly did. I mean, yeah. I thought the best team in the tournament did win it in the end, yeah. but but yeah. England, England were fantastic, and it's an unprecedented level of success for a modern England manager, and that is entirely. Down to the way that Gareth Southgate has essentially—he's not just been an England manager; he's been the cultural architect yeah. of the entire ecosystem of from youth upwards. And I think that's that even more than getting to a major final is a fantastic achievement. And you're talking legacy. What a legacy to leave.
1: So yeah, exactly. So, so you know, in a sort of smaller version, you you you, you want that. You know, with Norwich now and, and, and with recruiting and it's clever recruiting. And e- even if they don't have the, the same wage bill, you know, as we've seen before, having the money doesn't get you anywhere. It really annoys me when I hear fans complain about the board and saying, you know, we should be spending this. They, they, they don't realise that there's lots of clubs that have spent loads more money. The Norwich on players relatively when they're in the championship, like Birmingham and Sheffield Wednesday. They've spent loads. Well, they've spent millions. Look at Sheffield Wednesday now. They're in League One. Yeah, they've still got players on £40,000, £50,000 a week. So are Birmingham. So, so you know, and, and, and we saw when we we're in the Premier League, you know, you know Stephen Naismith, £50,000 a week, didn't have a relegation clause, extra bits and pieces, use of private jet and... Lots of extra domestic fights going back to Scotland, and it cost it cost a fortune and lots of signings and it doesn't work, and you know you're looking you know Norwich have been clever, you're looking at teams like Atalanta Atalanta finished third in Italy for the last three years now. their wage bills not even in the top half in Italy, they're clever, yeah been clever um clever recruitment, cleaning up some of the Portuguese teams from obviously South America, teams like you know Monaco in the past, not so much now, they've been clever. I think Southampton have been you know, quite clever and, and that's just that's the key, isn't it? It's just putting that 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 getting that formula to get it right. It's really difficult, but but you know, hopefully maybe um they're getting it there and we'll have a few years of getting success just by being clever. Of course, it is nice to have loads of money. Um and but but then you know you you're looking at what Crystal Palace, you know, even even if we had an owner that came in and gave us hundreds of millions. There's no guarantee they'd either stay up or Crystal Palace have spent hundreds and hundreds of millions for you, what? You pre did my next question. The ground's crap, know. isn't it? The ground's crap. <laughs> it's an embarrassment. You know, the, 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 the away end is, 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 is just League Two. And, you know, I, I was talking to someone involved with Palace the other day and I was thinking to what Norwich are spending or have spent. You know, Palace have... You know, they've got Sacco who's on £120,000 a week. He's gone now. Uh, Benteki and Zaha are the same. So Palace, for the last three years, have had three players on £6 million a year each. You yeah. know, Saku. Got £24 million out of Palace. And he played 64 games or something in the Premier League. And, you know, they had all these players like Cale on 60, 70,000. I know Norwich were interested in him. They'd have paid him a lot less. But all these other McCarthy, McCarthy, they've got loads of players on 60, 70, 80,000 pounds. It's cost a fortune. And for what? For what? Mid table? Um, yeah. You know, for what? what's that really achieved? Yeah, they've, they've not spent it on the infrastructure at all. And now, because of that, they're getting in another American owner or part owner to probably spend loads of money on on other players uh, that may or may not keep them up under Vieira. So I don't think that's the way forward. I think Norwich are doing it right. As, as nice it would be to, to have a bit more money, um, it is. It, there's there's no guarantee um, what whatsoever. And Swansea were the same. They have new investment and uh, from American owners. That that they're they're, they're, uh, they're Swansea supporting. Uh, chairman pretty much sold out. Look at them now.
0: Yeah, that's true. Although we're hoping Ross is going to do a good job. There. Yeah, and I think Wishing he will. them very well. Yeah, but it just depends because it's it's a brave move from him because yeah. obviously Cooper's football was not great, but they they did they did well uh, and they they probably overachieved with the squad that they had. They've lost Ayu now, who was their 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 magic man at a Championship level in particular, and. I think with Russell Martin, he's going in there, he's going to implement a new style, he's going to finish lower down the table, and it's just whether there's patience for that, which I hope there is. Uh, But Swansea do have in their identity, so Brendan Rodgers, Martinez, an attacking style of football and uh, an entertaining and attractive style of football, so hopefully He'll be Norwich, I I think he'll be Norwich manager one day I I think that's one of those whispers that's going around that will probably turn into truth as well, Um, one one that I just want to throw at you before we kind of finish up and that is total hypothetical here, but if Norwich City if some random billion gazillionaire went that's the club I want, that's the club for me I'm going to buy them would you say yes to that? Um,
1: it, 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 it's a difficult one. It, it's I, I just would I wouldn't be keen on it. It's a it, it's yeah, end. Uh, I mean, if if he it, it was American, for example, um, the investment would be there. But you'd have to accept the fact that he'd want to be making money, and there might be initial investment. But you, you, you know that they, they, they'd want to be making money. You know, look at at the moment, Liverpool have got away with it under Klopp. But for how much longer Liverpool can compete um, because they've not spent, look where Arsenal have ended up. Liverpool, if they're not careful, will end up like Arsenal. And, you know, looking at pa- Palace, they want the return uh, of their investment. So that, that, that's the problem. The, the other thing that worries me, if you get an owner in, it's got the money, but it's obviously all, you know, be, being written off in loans and whether they'll uh, pay off those loans. Obviously, Stoke are lucky because of their background hundreds and hundreds of million pounds in debt but that will always be covered um you
0: by know. the courts family yeah
1: and and then you've got yeah you know, I, I think and bec- because it is Ipswich, i don't think it's probably been given enough uh room in in the national media but i think it's the most bizarre story um that their ownership is a hedge fund and the, and and the ipswich are by in League One, spending big—you know, spending eight thousand pounds a week on players—that's
0: a ridiculous League One. Triple, average, tri- triple, the,
1: triple the average wage, but that but Ipswich's money is coming from the hedge fund of the pension pots of the Arizona Fire Service. So, you know, if you're a fire, fireman or an ambulance worker in Arizona, uh, would you really be wanting your pension pot being trusted in the players of Ipswich Town? I would argue, I'd be very very <laughs> no, lucky.
0: no yeah. chance. Yeah no 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 fair enough mate that's that's an interesting one last one i'm going to throw at you and it's from one of our listeners or watchers david Barman's asking have you heard any strong rumors on player signings for norwich
1: city personally no no i mean they're obviously going to sign a central um defender um they've got a loan player so it that, that potentially a, lo- a, a english loan player they could obviously bring some more loans from outside um, and, and defensive central midfielder. No, they're keeping that one under wraps. We're hearing a few bits and pieces from other clubs, but I have to say um, I'd be lying if I said I knew of any names other than, you know, the, it's, it's come out in the press this week. There was initial interest in Gary Cahill, wasn't there? It? But um,
0: yeah, it's not happening anymore. No, no. Yeah, and I think a lot of countries abroad are just trying to tag Norwich City onto transfer rumours, and very quickly they seem to be getting quashed. At the moment, they seem to be keeping it. So I'm always torn. Are they keeping stuff secret? Which, obviously, they are to to an extent. But would we have heard some sort of murmuring if something was close? I mean, Williams has been in the works a while. Yeah. Uh, But I think that one will happen. Uh, I think a defender will happen. And a number six. I think there's a universal acceptance within the club and out that that needs to happen. And I think that's, for me, that's the most important one. I think if we can get that right... and. The thing is, Norwich City are not going to spend a, a massive, exorbitant fee, which I, we've both talked about how that's a good thing, and I do believe that. We're not going to spend an exorbitant fee on a player that is not going to, A, provide return on investment, but B, probably not going to affect things at the top of the pitch. So I can't necessarily see us buying a number six that is really going to be of, of, of massive repute and of a massive fee. But... It's just making sure that we get the right figure. And tall and strong are the watchwords. So. Yeah,
1: definitely. I'm, I'm sure they will, and they've got a bit of money. But I say it's all relative, isn't it? I mean, I, I was watching. Um, there's a program on something uh, Sky last night, and they, they did an interview with Massimo Macaroni, the old um,
0: oh, gym. butter.
1: And uh, so, so there was a piece on him, what he's doing. Now. He's only just quit quit playing, actually. um But I, I looked at his transfer fee and. um I was thinking, you know, the, the eight, nine million pounds that Norwich are spending or have been spending. And He joined Middlesbrough for £8.1 million pounds 19 years ago. Yeah. And you're thinking, my God, they were like, you know, relatively now, what they were spending. And you're thinking, you know, and that's still serious money now, but like, oh my goodness, that, that was insane sums of money, Um, what teams like Middlesbrough are spending now. So, you know, all of a sudden makes. You know, obviously, former Middlesbrough player, but you know, Ben, um, Ben Gibson, eight eight million pounds, yeah, you know, and an absolute bargain, by the way. you know, yeah. if you can keep fit, an absolute bargain, um, and that that could be a good signing. Um, and, and by the way, when I spoke to him yesterday, I, I, I remember that he he was um called up once by Gareth Southgate, I've forgotten that so he he got called up for a full England squad only 2017, and I'm sure you'll remember this game. Uh, scotland to england to at hampton park where we england got absolutely out of jail with that late harry kane goal but but then you, got, you mean
0: you mean stuart armstrong sort of threw scotland to the wolves with an errant pass but by the way the best element of that game for me was the fact that lee griffiths essentially played chicken with joe hart at three kicks amazing two great goals
1: weren't they but, but was on the bench for that game um and the next game against uh, France, he thought he was going to get on and make his England debut. And then France had a player sent off and went three, one up. So there wasn't, he was never going to get it. And, and then unfortunately he wanted to leave Middlesbrough, but they wouldn't let him go. So you think thinking, talk about fine margins, you, you know, if, if it has stayed in the Premier League, but it just shows you again. Um, and, and by the way, he, he, he mentioned that for the article tomorrow, how Gareth Southgate told him to come to Norwich. Uh, he still speaks to Southgate. So you know that that was quite interesting. that Southgate has, <laughs> even had involvement this summer in Norwich's uh, uh, or oh, sorry, it was yeah. sorry it was like it was last summer uh, when he told him to go on loan. I apologize. But, mm-hmm. um, but it just shows you even Gareth Southgate, you know, has a high opinion of what Norwich are doing and
0: has told a former player to to come go to the club that that's a big endorsement for me given the yeah. we were talking about the root and branch element yeah. that he's done with, with england i think that's great J- just on on, on gibson and, and i'd be interested to know your thoughts on this and maybe he alluded to some of it himself i don't want you obviously to to give all your story away no 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 decent it's good line mate good line <laughs> um on um on, on sort of the situation with burnley obviously injuries played a factor right but i mean Sean Dyche has been quite good at bringing the the sort of defensive players and, and getting a lot out of them, improving some of them. I think a Tarkowski, for example, is, is one that he's really developed. What do you think just didn't happen?
1: I, I think I think the injuries didn't help. And then what the other thing is you need your break. And then when you've got two centre-halves, Tarkowski and Ben Mee play as well as they did. Your chances are going to be few and far between. Uh, and then you get into your second season get a bit frustrated uh, and and he obviously saw that there was no pathway there and say it, half the time a player needs a break at a club don't they and you know it's that one injury that they then made the most of they got in we've had Norwich players flourish haven't we and made the most of injuries in the past didn't happen for Ben Gibson there um and uh you know in his own words you know he's called it disaster um but you know I, I think he's you know lo- loving playing at Norwich loves the area um and you know, who, who doesn't, got,
0: mate? Everybody that moves there stays. It's
1: unbelievable. It's incredible, isn't it? How, how, how many former players and managers, um, those that you know, for, you know, grew up from you know, as and where in England end up staying there, or some that move away, then move back, and uh, it just say a lot. I think, uh-huh. even, I, think I think, even, even, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, all, all sorts of managers. I think, uh, obviously, Nigel Worthington stayed in norfolk didn't he and uh uh, yeah quite quite a few others as well bruce reyock so
0: uh yeah very very uh, good no it's a great part of the world mate and i mean i love it to bits i always say it's a bit like i'm an mp because i've got a second home so (laughs) (laughs) no excellent charlie uh so you've got this story coming out with ben gibson for anyone i mean i can't imagine there will be many but if anyone doesn't know sort of where to find you where can they find your stuff
1: yeah, it'll be it'll be um, it'll definitely be in the sun. It's 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 funny. The um, I'm not sure it'll be online. We're we we we're, we're sort of similar, but we're not. So sometimes we'll put a feature on, and it doesn't always get in um, get get up, get get online, and it infuriates us sometimes. And sometimes you know it's a different departments. So it'll definitely be in the paper tomorrow. I remember um, I did something with Neil um, Neil Adams last year. And um, I, I spoke to Neil, and you know, with, with the help of the club, it was really, really interesting. And um, and it was one of those we held for a rainy day because it's quite, as you know, it's, it's timeless. So it's not a preview to yeah. a game. With Neil, you know, you know Neil Asim's he probably is. He was at the time one of the first loan managers at a team, uh, really forward thinking by the club. And now he's not only, um, you know, many other clubs have followed him. He's still seen, even in the by Premier League clubs, as one as one of the best. One of the most respected and um we actually took us ages to get it in the paper and literally took it Then not have to moan about the online like, can you get it up please um and then when they got it up the, the amount of people that read it and retweeted it was amazing actually
0: you know well, the, like, what low mean, low. sorry what are the main characteristics you need to be a good loan manager uh, i think th- I, th- I think you need to be
1: patient um i think you need to listen um i, th- I think you obviously need to be a, be, a, be, a, be a really good character because it's unique isn't it that that you know a ma- mm-hmm. a, a, it's a very interesting because a manager obviously might to speak to one of other managerial friends but they're very focused on their club aren't they and mm-hmm. you know obviously you know no manager a bit like a sporting director and a sporting director has to know what's going on get well with with other clubs uh, you can't just you know you, you can't just think about your own club all the time obviously and obviously Neil, Neil ha- has to do that with the teams and clubs like a sporting manager, but it also has to deal with the players as well. So currently, basically, you know, they're all under orders. They have to, to ring in, um, you know, an hour after the final whistle of every game, all these lone players. Um, so it's a really interesting job. And he yeah, obviously, with Stuart, Webber has to make a decision in who they might bring in or where they send out. So it's it's um it's obviously a really important job. Um, and, I and, think for
0: Norwich City, especially, by the way, because we have so many young talents, and actually, out with the first team setup, the recruitment at under twenty three and under eighteen level has been staggering under oh, Stuart Weber.
1: Yeah, definitely, and and obviously, you know, Neil, Neil came in obviously a bit before then, uh, but let's not forget, you know, um, Norwich signed James Madison, um, and obviously, you know, there are a few clubs, you know, well, you know Liverpool, Tottenham. But, but yeah we we were, we were able to have a really good look at james madison early on because neil adams was 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 going to Coventry to to watch jacob Murphy and mm. so so you, you know you know was 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 going to games and seeing that and you know obviously recommended to the club that we you know, really needed to sign him and they obviously neil' found out that sisu were pretty much cash trapped and we got him for not a lot of money so so i i think neil has, has been a massive success at norwich and and, and again, you know, him getting players to the right place, bringing them back. And then, of course, um, with Daniel having this amazing reputation, to be honest, for, for nurturing players and, and players speak to each other. That's the other thing you've got to remember. You know, exactly. But they, they, they're all, you, you, you know, you've got someone like Carl Robinson, who's at Oxford, he's got a similar reputation. And, you know, in, in that, in those uh, divisions, like, you know, he'll bring you on. He's great to play for. Um and uh, and I think you know D- Daniel has that reputation for for, for, for for certainly for younger players.
0: He's probably a job away, but again, given the kind of methodology at play with Norwich City, maybe a decent fit as a future Norwich manager if he can have success a bit higher up. You know, um, he's Who, called uh, Robinson. So, oh yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, he, he um, he's obviously. Yeah, Six hundred and two games um, he's managed. He's only like forty. And I hold on, that's... how
0: are you blocking that? How, how you, the, the yeah, scenario? yeah, that's yeah, something. yeah.
1: So yeah, and I think it's only Graham Taylor's got to that that before him, and he's beaten cuffy a bit. Um, but yeah, he he, he said I, I think it's ridiculous that someone like him is not getting a, another championship job. Absolutely
0: ridiculous. But some of the championship appointments at the moment are utter, utterly baffling. Madness, mate. Yeah, but some of the clubs in the championship, the thing about the championship is, is because you're so near the promised land, right? A lot of clubs are just desperate to get there. And it's like fight tooth and nail just to do it. And that's, by the way, see putting in context Norwich having two consecutive league winning campaigns in that division, but also doing that operating the way we do is, is, like really, really, really strong stuff because there's so many teams that are just fighting to the name and do anything to get there. They'll play rubbish football, they'll spunk loads of money on on whoever, you know, just to try and get a chance of getting that Premier League prize pot. Yet we're doing everything the right way and we've won the league twice in a row. So well, and, and the reason <laughs> the, the championship is so crazy
1: um, is the reason that League One now has seven ex-Premier League teams in it. Because exactly that. the teams lose the plot, they get really obviously some, uh, have been in it longer than others, but but you know, you're looking at League One this season, which is why Ipswich are having to, I think, gamble on, on stupid amounts because you know, you're looking at Portsmouth, Sunderland, um, Charlton, Portsmouth, Wigan, Ipswich, and then but not only that, not only did the Sheffield Wednesday teams come down from the Championship, all of a sudden. Bolton arrived from League Two to make life difficult for everybody as well. <laughs> so, yeah, Let, looking at League One, but some of that Bolton being League Two is because teams have been, you know, re, you know bloody stupid in, in the Premier League or in, in the Championship. Which, again, while fans moan about the club not spending this or that, they do need to look at the league table and see who's in League One and who's in League Two. Where teams are, yeah, you know, Forest have been spending a lot of money on wages over the last few years. You know, look where they are; it it, it 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 doesn't. You know, having money
0: obviously does help massively. Having you, Chris Chuteen in charge of your team doesn't, I would argue. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I see him in borrowed time at Forest. Just on Sunderland, I think it's a it's an amazing thing. I did their game the other day, and I, I was looking at my notes before it, and I was like, "This is their fourth season in that oh, and I'm thinking, how how has that happened, you know, for Sunderland, like, who are a big, big team? Yeah. And I'm, I'm just... Uh, do you know what? League One's fascinating this season because for all those teams you've mentioned, you've got the likes of Burton Albion enjoying an absolute renaissance in Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's second spell as manager. And they're just one of, of many examples. Lincoln are doing really exciting stuff as well. There's so many teams... And then you've got the likes of MK Dons who have replaced Russ with yeah. another fascinating appointment that could go, like, any sort of number of ways. And I, I, that is a really fun division. Yeah, team. you've got Rotherham
1: United to get out of the league, obviously, with yeah. uh, Oxford have got a, 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 a decent manager, as we said. You know, uh, but but it's... See, when, when when Norwich got relegated, yeah, they were relatively lucky. And I know there was, obviously, Southampton had a point of deduction. Leeds were there. But, and I know, sort of, Really, re, you know, relatively teams have been out to get bounced back out relatively quickly, haven't they? You know, Leicester as well. But now you've got these seven teams, League One, all of a sudden. And and by the way, I think people forget that you know Norwich's support, but they were still their average was better, so much better than Leicester's and Southampton's and most weeks better than Still proud team, by the way. Yeah. So which is which is why my, my 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 only criticism of the board, my only one in the last ten years, was was. The, the initial promise with uh, Balkit and McNally was we'll, we'll sort the try and sort the stadium out after one season in the Premier League. I felt rather than spend money on the Naismiths and the Matt Jarvises, was to to, to improve the stadium. That's the only thing I wish they'd have done eight nine years ago. Because you know you're looking at Leicester selling out. They're, they're increasing the crowd to forty thousand now. I still think Norwich would, would 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 sell that out every week. And I know people look at some empty seats for Premier League games. It just doesn't work like that. When when your ground's bigger and you 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 know that you can there's more it, you the ground's bigger. Invariably, you can put ten thousand on the on the on the gate, uh even if you're not always selling out three or four hundred like they are at Carrow Road. I, don't, I probably haven't explained myself very well, but my point being is that I do believe they did. Uh, increase of the city stand; they would really, um, they'd, they'd be absolutely
0: fine. Certainly, thirty-six thousand would be fine. So, the, my only question with that is access and egress. Is there would, would there be some issues with that? Because obviously, you're next to quite an important road in the city. If you if you do move that back, and then obviously car parking, not masses really compared to some stadia. It, so
1: it, it's not. But you look, you're looking at some of the London, you know, the, the London. I know you you say you've got the, obviously public transport. But you know, let let less Leicester's in you know, middle of nowhere, and it's just on a few junctions, and and there's I think way less car parking, and and um, I-, I still think Norwich even cars some of the car parks the other side of the city, uh, and you, do, you know, at least you do have a train station there. I-, I-, I don't think it's you know any different. You know, South, South Southampton uh, is you know it's the middle of nowhere, and it's by, by the side of a river as well, um, yep. and it's longer to walk to the railway station. So certainly I think th- 34,000. Um, I, I, I would love to see they've, they've got it right at the training ground and I, that would be the next thing. I know the importance of staying in the division, but that would be the my my, my only thing I'd like to have seen from the club in the last decade because the the, the how they've sold out in in um, you know in in the second tier and, and most games even in League One uh, really getting good crowds. In that uh, was well well bet, bet better than um, the teams I just mentioned. So. I don't
0: know the finances or something like that, but I would suggest that I could imagine where a supporter basically in Norwich cities, you would make your money back fairly quickly.
1: Yeah. I mean
0: what you what yeah, you, in, you amplified it. I mean the pro- yeah, I mean the problem is it could cost a lot more now.
1: So I'm not saying they should suddenly build it now because it does cost a lot more. That my regret is that a, a decade ago, eight years ago, nine years ago, when, when they said they, they would do if we stayed up. One season, I wish they'd done it now because it costs, uh, as I said, I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, but I'd rather add uh, a new stand than um, Matt Jarvis and
0: um, Stephen Naismith to be fair. <laughs> well, uh, uh, football benefit of hindsight it's one of the great things. I know, I know. A it's a fun adventure being an Norwich fan, mate. I mean, I'm a later convert than you, but I, I'm, I'm so glad that I am, and I think just the I mean, the, the BK thing aside, I've not had one moment where I've, I've questioned it. And it's been one of the... I mean, I, I said this in the launch video for this podcast. Been one of the, My journey to being a Norwich fan has been one of the greatest journeys of my life, definitely in a sporting sense. So that's that, that's something that I'm really grateful for. And I'm really grateful to you for coming on, mate. It's, this has been a fascinating chat. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and everybody can obviously go and find you at Charlie Wyatt on Twitter. If you've got um, any questions for me, everyone, then please do get them in. You can DM me and stuff like that. I've realized that we've gone on a bit longer than I was expecting, so... I were now what um, an hour and ten minutes away from me doing my Twitter space with Michael Bailey, that will be a regular feature on most Fridays after the press conference, which is probably just wrapped up as we speak, I'm guessing. won't be the normal duration of these things. But yes, join me for the Twitter space with Michael Bailey at three o'clock, which you can do at Hodgy the Hack on Twitter. Remember you can find this podcast on YouTube. Thanks to everyone for watching. You can subscribe on YouTube if you're listening to the podcast player and you're to your podcast. You can do it on there uh, just by searching for Hodge on Nodge on all the major podcast players. So all that remains for me is to thank Charlie. Cheers, mate. Uh, thank you guys for listening and say, well, you know what I say now. I say it all the time. On the Ball City.